Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through the Lawyerist Lab and Accelerator. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast host. Hi, I'm Laura Briggs. And I'm Stephanie Everett. And this is episode 320 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. In today's episode, I'm talking with a Lawyerist Lab member about their lab journey and what they're currently dealing with in their small firm. Today's podcast is brought to you by TimeSolve, ESQ.Marketing, Cosmolex, Text Expander, and Postali. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support, so stay tuned. You'll hear a little bit more about them later on. So, Stephanie, you recently delivered three talks at ABA Tech Show 2021, which was virtual this year, and you do a lot of other public speaking at summits and on podcasts and to law schools. This is a great way to market a law firm when done well, if you wanted to do your own conference or attend a summit or host a webinar, but there's an art to it, right? So I was curious, do you have a couple of tips for attorneys who want to leverage public speaking as a way of growing their own business? Yeah, absolutely. I love this topic. First of all, you absolutely want to give in your speech, right? There's this idea that we all know we're on stage in a way to promote ourselves and promote our business. But I think it's really obvious when people are on stage and are just trying to do a big pitch or sale. And it it just falls flat for the audience. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think at a live conference, when you see people sneaking out of the back of the room in the first five minutes because they've realized that this isn't going to be a good use of the hour of their time because they're just going to be sold on something. And you never want to be that person. You want people to always feel like you're delivering value and showing up with good intentions to educate people, even if they never end up doing anything with you business-wise. Yeah, and so you can just show up and and offer great content and great tips, and people will still hire you. And I think that's always the concern, right? But I'm going to give away my best stuff. And it's like, you don't realize it, but your best stuff, your secret sauce, it works and people need it. And so in a way, you telling people about your secret sauce will reaffirm to them how easy and simple it is to go ahead and hire you. So, you know, if you're a lawyer and you work on a specific type of liens and then you're giving a talk to, you know, other PI attorneys who know that they have this lien as part of their process, but maybe they don't want to do it, you going and speaking about it and telling them about the process, there's going to be folks in that room that are like, huh, this would be just as easy to hire the speaker to do this for me, even though maybe you've just, you know, or they're going to get in it and it's going to be stickier than they realized or harder than they realized. So, you know, go in and give your best stuff and give great content. Show yourself as an authority and as an expert. People hire confidence. And so if you can just go in and knowing that and own that, don't worry about the sale. 
you know, that will come later. I love that because I think that it sets people up to trust you a lot faster too. When you go right to the sale, people are distrusting of you. And I think the legal community is small enough that word will eventually get around that when you're a speaker somewhere, you just show up and pitch and try to sell people and try to convert people. So it's always best to lead with that value. And that's what really does build trust. And a lot of the people, like you said, will be in the audience and will say, this could be expensive for us to do. This could be hard for us to do. This could be time consuming. Let's just pass that off to this person who clearly knows what they're talking about. Yeah. So then I guess my tip number two would be stories sell, right? So just because I just told you that, you know, you want to lead with great content and teach and show that you're an expert and authority, but there is a way to sort of let people in on some of your, you know, secret sauce and, and what works. So as you're teaching content and usually, you know, the formula for most people is you do some kind of introduction. If you can tell a story, get a little bit about yourself, maybe your why. I mean, people want to know that they don't care if you were on law review, but they might be really interested if, you know, how you came to this part of the, you know, a little bit of you, your background story. So once you've done that, you know, usually you have time to teach two to three major points of content. And that's how I like to think about it. You know, what three big takeaways do I want to teach? But for each of those takeaways, if you can wrap in real life stories, obviously respecting client confidences and all of those kind of things, but if you can give those real examples, so here is the teaching point. Now, here's how I actually helped someone with this problem. That is a super powerful way to sort of reinforce that idea of why people might want to hire you to help them. And so it is a way to quote unquote, like sell what you do without pitching. We can contextualize so much from the story. It's also a non-embarrassing way for a person in the audience to get it in whatever way makes sense for them and not feel like you're talking above their head or something like that. Because a lot of times someone will say something and I'll get the general gist of it, but until they dive into the story and you can see it playing out live and plug in those different concepts, that's when it really makes sense for a lot of people. And it's a nice way to bring them along and further illustrate your point without kind of being too complicated. So 2021 is the perfect time to start thinking about how you can leverage virtual speaking events, but please use these tips so that you get the best possible results. Now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Scott from TimeSolve and then Stephanie's conversation with Aaron. Hey y'all, Zach here, the legal tech advisor at Lawyerist. And today I am joined by Scott Clayson of TimeSolve. We're talking about billing and getting paid. Thanks for joining us today, Scott. Oh, thanks for having me, Zach. Now, I know sometimes billing and invoicing can feel like a taboo subject for lawyers, but I, I mean, at, at the end of the day, we do have to make a profit, right? Well, and that's, I think, even more so with the state of the world, with the pandemic, making sure you're getting paid for every single invoice you sent should be top of mind all the time for any law firm, no matter what size they are. Right. And, and so for lawyers kind of generally, what does the AR landscape look like? I mean, we're we're classically not really good at collecting our accounts receivable. Yeah. I mean, and there's a couple of reasons behind that, I think. Um, one is you're lawyers, you're not accountants, you're not business managers, and you go to law school, you don't go to business school. So it's sort of a built-in disadvantage in some ways, because there's so much, especially small firms, it's about there's running business and there's practicing law, and those two often don't intersect necessarily in school. Mm -hmm. And two is, I think a lot of lawyers are sort of trained not to go hard and heavy after people who don't pay their bills um, for a variety of reasons. A lot of, I know, insurance malpractice, you know, don't want to necessarily have you 
you know, try to sue your clients and that sort of thing. So right. we've ended up with a state of the world where Clio had their trend report that came out last September that I think 88% of invoices sent by the average law firm in, in Clio uh, is collected. I mean, so you're missing 12% of your revenue right there. Right. We've analyzed our own data in TimeSolve. Uh, we took 1,500 random firms that use our software and the average law firm had on their books over half a million dollars of aged invoices over 90 days. And that's a lot of money that you rightfully should be paid for. So let's figure out what do we do? How do we close that gap between 88% and 100%, right? Right. And I'd like to, to think about this to start with the premise that for the most part, because of malpractice insurance, because of other things, I'm not going to sue my client. I want to keep a good relationship. So given that, how do I structure my, my accounts receivable to where I can actually get this, you know, get that 12%? So we've, we've developed a methodology. We call it zero AR, mm-hmm. zero accounts receivable. And it goes like this. And, and we, I'll use a, a law firm that walked us through this because they do it and, and, you know, how to set it up. They're out in Colorado. They're a family law firm, about 30 attorneys, but it could work for any size law firm. First is upfront during the intake of your um, new engagement with a client, collect payment information, whether it's a credit card or ACH payment, have the ability, should have the ability to store that within your billing software, like you can with TimeSolve and other providers like us, whether it's even just using LawPay or LexCharge or some of those other legal specific payment processors. Either way, have that payment method on file with your client. And during that same intake process, you can set up fee arrangement stipulations that essentially state when we send an invoice, you will have X number of days to raise any objections to what you see on the invoice. It could be three days, five days, seven days, whatever. Mm-hmm. Likely you should check with your state bar association to see if they have an opinion on this. Right. But the point is you control when you're going to get paid. So when those three days pass, those five days pass, then in time solve, at least you can select all of your sent invoices that you have a payment method on file, hit one button charge. And it'll run payment on literally hundreds of invoices at once. Mm-hmm. So this law firm that that uses it, they build twice a month, like clockwork, on the 1st and the 16th of every month. <laughs> they give their clients three days to raise any objections. So they know they're getting paid on the 4th and then on the 20th or the 19th every month. And they've achieved now a 97% collection rate. Wow. Of course, the 3% generally is any credit cards that fail for whatever reason type of thing. But the other interesting thing they do is they don't do anything really anymore or very little with trust accounting because that's how a lot of lawyers will try to protect themselves from not getting paid is keeping that retainer. Yeah, have a retainer set up. But what they have learned to do, this firm, is they'll do a credit check on clients during the intake. Okay. And if they deem that their client is of a, a credit risk, that's the only time that they collect a retainer. They don't even call it a retainer. They call it a security deposit because it's just that. They still collect the payment method of credit card or ACH payment. They'll still charge the, like to do everybody else. But if that payment method fails, then they'll dip into the trust account and move it over and pay the invoice off that way and then have them top it off. So they could have clients that give them a retainer at the beginning of their interaction with them and then just return the entire thing when they're done. Mm-hmm. $5,000 that's being held never gets used. $5,000 back at the end. It really is like a security deposit. Right. This methodology takes certainly some shift of paradigm shift in how you think about collection, but I think the idea everyone can can kind of grab onto and it makes perfect sense because you want to meet your customers where they're at. You right. want to create a frictionless type of interaction. So many consumers, especially depending on the areas of law that you practice, 
they are used to paying in this method, whether it's Netflix, their utility bills, whatever, they're used to giving payment information up front. So we think it's really impactful. Well, and I think that that kind of leads me to another premise that is built into this is that clients want to pay and they're happy to pay for services rendered. So take that friction out of it wherever you can. And you may not be in a state where you can do that automatic billing, but you can certainly put their information on file and likely send them something. And I think TimeSolve has this ability where you send them something that says, hey, click this button to pay. Just authorize us running your credit card and we're good. And that's simple and easy for them and they can do it from their phone. Well, Scott, thank you for your time. For you guys, if people want to learn more about TimeSolve, they can go to timesolve.com forward slash zero hyphen AR. And that's T-I-M-E-S-O-L-V.com forward slash Z-E-R-O hyphen A-R. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Scott. Hi, I'm Aaron Thomas. I'm a family law attorney in Georgia with a specialty in prenuptial and postnuptial agreements. Hey, Aaron, I'm so excited to have you on today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome. So I want to jump into your practice. I want to ask you, I just have a whole bunch of questions, but maybe just for our listeners. So you're my neighbor, you're in Atlanta. And when, how long have you had your practice? I've been practicing family law since 2007, but I've had my own practice since 2015. Yeah. So a little over five years now. And is it fair to say that in the, when you started your firm, it probably looked and felt more like a traditional family law firm? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I did what I knew, which is what my boss did when I worked for him and what the other family law attorneys around me were doing. So you were handling a lot of contested divorces, uncontested divorces, anything else exciting? Yeah, divorce, legitimation, custody, child support contempts, modification, all kinds of flavors of, you know, marriage and and child custody and child support issues. And then the pandemic hit. The pandemic hit. It hit us all. Yes. No, I love this because, so, you know, obviously I know what's coming. So I remember you calling me at some point early on in the pandemic and, and it was like, Hey, life's going great, but I have this idea. So what was stirring around in that brain of yours? Yeah, I'm a big fan of, of prenuptial and postnuptial agreements. And, and people that know me know that I've kind of been seeing the praises of, of prenuptial agreements for a while. But I really wanted to double down on the idea and, and, and go for it full force. That was kind of the germ that, that started this, this idea of what is now georgiaprenups.com. Yeah. And so you've kind of created like a separate piece of your business, almost like focused on this idea of doing prenups, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've set it up. It's it's almost like a separate arm of the business. It has its own website and, and scheduling and pricing and all of that marketing efforts. Yeah. It's, it's basically a separate entity at this point. So maybe a couple questions, but one, like why, where's this coming from? Yeah, that's, yeah, that, that, that is a good question. I, you know, I have, been a fan of the idea of prenups since I started family law back in, in 07. And really the idea kind of came about because you know how, when you, when you get into a new industry, all of a sudden you are privy to all this insider information that nobody else knows about the industry. And, and it's shocking. It's, it's kind of like, for example, you know, my first job ever was in fast food. And I remember, you know, getting in there and week one being like, Oh, this is how they make the chili. 
Like, and you know, was, don't ruin French fries for me. <laughs> <laughs> right. The French fries are fantastic, okay. but, but, but how the chili was made surprised me. So I had, you know, starting doing family law, I had my, my fast food chili moment. And I realized that getting married is the most important, the most consequential contract that you can sign in your life. And 99% of people who, who sign this contract have never even read it. They have no idea what they're getting into until they get divorced. And, you know, back when I first started doing family law, I would tell people, I would tell my friends, family, anyone who would listen, like, do not get married. Just <laughs> don't get married at all. You have, you have no idea what you're signing up for. I would recommend that people, you know, have a party, like go get a resort, change your last name, wear a white dress if that's what you're into, but do not actually get legally married because most people don't know the legal significance of, of getting married. And from that, you know, my, my position evolved a little bit. I mean, spoiler, I am married today. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> but I realized that a lot of people could avoid a lot of the arguments about money. It's no secret that money is one of the biggest problems in, in marriages. A lot of people could avoid a lot of the arguments if they just understood the ground rules from the beginning, if they just understood the financial contract that they were entering by getting married. And that's where I became a big proponent of, of prenuptial agreements. And, and then, you know, last year after the pandemic hit, I, I really started thinking, you know, I have this knowledge that could help a lot of people out there. And why not start putting it out there? Why not start educating people on the importance of, of coming to an agreement on how you're going to handle your finances in the form of a prenuptial agreement? Yeah. I love that one of the things you've done with this kind of part of your business is you're really kind of flipping the switch on what it means to have a prenup. Like your whole approach is you're making this big decision and you need to, to be educated about it. And this is going to set you up for a better marriage. So all the marketing material, all the things you're doing are really about not anticipating divorce, which is how most people think of prenups, but how can we actually better prepare you to be a better married couple? I mean, I love that. Yeah. I mean, when you break it down, like the getting divorced part is actually a small part of what a prenup can be. Uh, a lot of people just think about a prenup as, okay, it's what happens when you get divorced. But I look at it in three stages. You know, you talk, you have the conversations about what each party is coming in with, what they're bringing to the marriage. You know, today the average couple gets married at around age 29. You've already got a decade of financial habits probably six figures in student loans. A lot of us lawyers, you've got equity in, in a house, you know, a 401k. And our parents, they got married at age, average age 21. They came in with a blank slate. I mean, credit cards barely existed when my parents got married. And so having the conversation, one, about what are you coming into the marriage with? Number two, about what are you going to do during the marriage? Who's going to pay for what? Are you going to have one big account pay for everything from that? You're going to have separate accounts. You're going to have both. And then Part three is the contingencies. You know, what if something goes wrong? And that's where you can talk about wills and insurance and do we have enough life insurance and disability insurance? And yes, if the marriage doesn't work out, what do you do? So uh, I look at a prenup as, as all encompassing of, of the entire you know, life cycle of, of, of a relationship. Yeah, I love that. What I really love and what I think could be really helpful to our listeners is that you recognized that you had this knowledge, right? You had information about this process that you could package up and deliver to people and it would look different, right? Like, so most people think family law lawyer, oh, 
you handle divorces, you go to court, you have, you know, it, and that's how it looks. That's how your firm should operate. And what I love about what you're doing and kind of the epiphany you had when we first got on the call and started talking about this part of your business was I have something different that I can offer. Yeah. It may seem weird for someone to get marriage advice from a divorce attorney, but I really felt like I've been the beneficiary of, of seeing what goes wrong and being able to identify things that people can eliminate from their relationships. You know, what if we could help people save marriages? What if I could do something that would help people not need my divorce services later on? And so, yeah, I mean, we just kind of leaned into it and decided to switch the argument from you know, okay, yeah, we know, you know, prenups aren't romantic and it's just this thing that you have to do to, no, no, let's go the opposite way. Actually, prenups are romantic. It's the most romantic thing you can do for your relationship to go through a little bit of discomfort to do the work that's going to make you have a, a better relationship with, with your spouse long-term. So if other attorneys are hearing this and maybe their wheels are turning about, okay, there's information, there's knowledge I have about what I do, the kind of cases I work on that maybe I could package up and offer differently. You know, talk us through like, so then what did that look like from once you had the idea and then now we had to go build this thing and maybe what advice would you give someone if they're thinking of starting this journey? Yeah, I think the the best advice that I could give is the advice I eventually had to give myself, which is to treat everything like an experiment, you know, you don't have to shut down your entire practice to try a new idea. You know, us lawyers, we have the tendency to be perfectionists and want to have everything polished to the nth degree before we put it out there in the world. But if I treated it like, okay, I'm going to experiment, let me put this idea out in the world. Let me write up a, a web page as, as simple as I can get it up. Let me throw it out there. Let me start talking to people about it. And by treating it like an experiment, that kind of gave me the permission to not have it have to be perfection on day one out the door. The website doesn't have to have 300 videos and the explainer course for $19.99, you know, on the website in order for you to, to, to get your message out there. And I think that gave me the permission to launch quickly, put it on Facebook, put it on LinkedIn put it out there in the world and get feedback and then iterate and improve it based on the feedback that I got rather than try to have it, you know, be a one quality on day one out the door. It's so important. And I think you're right. Everybody wants this thing to be perfect. Someone once told me like a first draft can never be perfect, right? Because you haven't had a chance to test it and get that feedback and hear from people what they like or what they didn't like. And so I love that you just were like, let's run with this thing. Because I think when you first called me about it, you were thinking like, is this like a five-year project I have kicking around in my head? And I was like, no, I think we need to do it like now. <laughs> like, What can we do in the quarter? Right. More of a five-week program than a, than a five-year program. Yeah. I mean, that was, I needed that push to just put it up and put it out there because I think what what I found is the longer that you keep it under wraps, the more pressure that you put on the eventual launch. If you work on the project for a year and a half in secret, you know, that launch day is going to be the most nerve-wracking thing in the world because you put so much effort into having this this perfect launch and it's not going to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect on day 1. So, getting it out there, 
getting feedback, seeing what resonates with people and what doesn't was, it's part of the experiment is what I think has allowed me to build this into uh, its own kind of practice and, and let it take its course. Awesome. I'm so excited about it. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. When we come back, I want to dig in to, um, you know, one of my favorite topics, which is how this fits into your larger vision. So we'll be right back. Support for today's episode comes from ESQ Marketing, an agency that believes in affordable and reliable marketing for solo practitioners and small law firms. With ESQ Marketing, you'll work with experts in legal marketing. All of their intense focus is on helping attorneys generate more clients and cases from the internet. They don't work with anyone else. You'll breathe easy with low-risk, month-to-month contracts, and there are no long-term commitments. ESQ Marketing earns the right to work for your firm each and every month. Best of all, you'll get direct access to the person working on your account. No account managers to deal with and no lost-in-translation with your requests. To see if you're a fit, visit esq.marketing forward slash lawyerist to get started. Today's challenging and fluctuating business climate requires law firms to be flexible in the way they run their practice. Whether you're working remotely, in the office, or a combination of the two, you need to be able to work effectively and efficiently on the go at any time. That's why Cosmolex offers a cloud-based total law practice management system with built-in compliance for trust and general legal accounting. With Cosmolex, you get everything you need to run your practice in one solution with 24-7 mobile access that's both secure and easy to use. You'll be able to stay on top of all your billable activities no matter where you are, and your clients will love the direct and secure communication in the client portal. The Cosmolex migration team will ensure all your data is moved into your new system safely and securely so your firm can be up and running in no time. To learn more about Cosmolex total law practice management system, visit cosmolex.com forward slash lawyerist. Support for today's episode comes from Text Expander. Get ahead of your productivity for the new year with easy to use cross-platform snippets. Text Expander makes quick work of mundane repetitive tasks so you can focus on what matters most. Say goodbye to needless text entry, spelling and grammar errors, and inconsistency in your messaging. When you use Text Expander, you can say the same thing, the right thing, in just a few keystrokes. Text Expander can be used in any platform, any app, anywhere you type. These versatile snippets are better than copy and paste, and they're better than scripts and templates. They work across devices and platforms to allow you to maximize your efficiency while still customizing and personalizing your messages. So take your time back in the new year and increase your productivity with Text Expander. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Just visit textexpander.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Support for today's episode comes from Postali, a full-service legal marketing agency for law firms. The attorney-client relationship is the cornerstone of the legal profession. Just like you put the client's needs first, you deserve a marketing agency that does the same to grow your practice. Postali works with law firms nationwide and is the only full-service legal marketing agency that can call itself a marketing fiduciary. That's because, at Postali, the impressive results they achieve come from always putting your law firm's financial interests above their own. Imagine a relationship with a legal marketing agency that treats your investment as they would their own dollars, without hollow SEO promises, no commission-based upselling, and who won't work with your competitors. 
Bustali is the marketing agency for legal professionals looking for 100% transparency and genuine guidance from a real marketing partner. To learn more about the benefits of working with a marketing fiduciary, visit postali.com forward slash lawyerist. Contact them for a free consult and mention this podcast. All right, Aaron. So you've been telling us about this idea you've had. And so you've basically, your law firm, your divorce practice is still up and running. Your staff's in place. They're all happy. Now you have basically just a separate income stream coming in now through this other business that you've, I mean, it's not another business, but it it looks and feels like another business. Is that fair to say? Yeah. yeah. Well, it, cert- it certainly feels like another, another business to me. Yeah. Um, I want to give Georgia prenups the space to become what it's going to become on its own without constricting it within my larger family law practice. You know, the dream is honestly to help as many couples as I can have a better relationship with their finances. And so that message does not neatly fit within the language of a divorce law website. Right. And I would love to put myself out of business. I would love to, you know, have so many couples go in with a plan so that, I mean, we all know the statistics. We all know that 40% of marriages today uh, end in divorce, but divorce doesn't have to be as ugly. It does not have to be as messy. And it would be fantastic to have Georgia prenups grow into something where, you know, it is my, it would be my primary business. You know, I could spend my days extolling the virtues of, you know, having that tough taboo conversation about finances as early as possible in relationships. Yeah. So I want to pull back a little bit because I think you're kind of my real life example of something I have often said that we should be building our businesses to serve us, right? Like your business should exist to serve you. I feel like I say that over and over again. And one of the things I love about what you're doing, you are on the path to make that happen. And so I want to fill our listeners in and, and tell them about that. So you know, if you don't mind sharing, what are some big lofty personal goals that you have for your life that you're willing to share? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I want to travel. I want to see the world. I want to live abroad. Before I started my family law firm, actually, I practiced from 2007 to 2013 straight and, you know, was hitting a period where I was, you know, maybe burning out, you know, is this what I really want to do? And I actually took a year off to travel around South and Central America. So from January 2014 until April 2015, I was in South and Central America with my then girlfriend, now wife. And it was obviously you know, an amazing time. It's it's part of what you know gave me the confidence to go and, and start my own practice and try to build it from the ground up to, you know, like you said, eventually work for me and and fit into the larger vision of my life rather than, you know, let me work and let me fit in a couple of vacations where I can, you know, can I flip that? Can I create this dream life and have my law firm fit into the dream life that I want to live? And so I have this vision of having a house on the coast of, of Costa Rica or somewhere as silly as that might sound, but still maintaining my practice and doing prenups, you know, you don't go to court, you know, there's not a lot of, you know, need to be face-to-face in person. And growing this part of my practice gets me closer to 
I think that dream life of being able to operate it from anywhere. Yeah. And so I love that because like, yeah, it's the vision and you're not there yet. You're not looking at property quite yet in Costa Rica, but one day you will. And now you're creating a business that would allow you the flexibility that you need to do that. So if we know coming in like that, that flexibility is important to you, then we can start building a business around that. And, and that works in my, it, to me for like so many people. I was on the phone with yesterday with a woman and she has a special needs child. So like a very different situation. Like it wasn't because she wants to go live in Costa Rica, but she's like, my schedule is just so demanding because I have to take care of my son. And I was like, yeah, I get it. And I want you to have a business that is successful and that gives you the flexibility and time you need for whatever it is you want to do in life, travel, be with your family, take care of your family, whatever that looks like. So that's why I love that you're on this path. Yeah. And, you know, not just with Georgia prenups, I feel like that perspective has, has spilled over into my primary divorce practice. Uh, this time last year, we had, you know, a nice fancy office suite overlooking Peachtree, which is the big street here in Atlanta. But a lot of us, you know, a lot of my staff preferred to work from home. And, you know, I kind of gave them that flexibility because I want to have that same flexibility too. And it's, it's something that I think has been a benefit to my entire team. Of course, then, as we all know, March came, the pandemic hit, and all of a sudden we're all remote working. And I think our firm had a little bit of a leg up because we had already put in place the procedures and everybody had a place in their home that served as their home office where they could do their work. So we were able to hit the ground running. And fast forward to today, we've let the office space go. And Everybody's got their own setup from where they are. So, you know, in a sense, we've already kind of created this environment where people can work and do good work from where they are. I know that I have a better lifestyle. I know that my staff has a better lifestyle. Some of the people who, who work in my office, their homes are an hour or more in the notorious Atlanta traffic away from where the office is. And so they get a couple hours back out of their day and not necessarily spending that time working but spending that time with their family, yeah, spending that time doing other things that they want to do. And happier employees means everybody is happier. I know so many people are making that shift. And I've heard so many people now say, yep, I'm giving up the office space. And, you know, I feel like it was something we had preached for so long and it was like people didn't believe us, but it doesn't, it has its struggles too. I'm curious if there's been one or two things that as you guys have made that transition that you felt like you had to figure out or struggle with that you've learned from that you're doing better now? Oh, for sure. There, I mean, there's there's the growing pains. I mean, you, you're always going to have that one person. It has not been that many, but those couple of people who are going to want to have the face-to-face -face visit over the Zoom call. Overall, people have much preferred meeting over Zoom. Nobody's late because all you got to do is log in on your computer. You don't have to worry about the traffic or taking half a day off work. So, you know, that's been part of it. The taking turns on who's going to go get the mail because the mail still does go to an office suite. So someone's got to go, go pick that up. But those are, I think, very small in comparison to the benefits that we've seen. Again, you know, it's like an experiment. You get in there, you try it, you iterate, you make some tweaks along the way, but ultimately it's been a net positive for all of us, I think. Yeah. Any other changes you see kind of coming out of the pandemic or changes that have you've been forced to make that might stick or might impact the profession? Oh, for sure. One big thing is, 
you know, especially in the practice of family law, there can be a lot of court dates or status conferences, check-ins, you know, these, you know, short hearings where your actual time with your client in front of the judge may be no more than five, 10, 15 minutes, but you're actually, you know, you're driving to the courthouse, you're parked in the parking lot, you take the elevators down, you go through security, you get in the courtroom, there's 30 cases on the calendar, the judge goes through all of them, and your clients end up paying you a total of maybe four hours worth of time for you to be there for those of us who still bill hourly and for about 15 minutes of actual legal work, you know, and, and the rest of the time you're sitting there, you know, on a bench in the courtroom, it's not good for clients. Clients don't want to pay for that time. Right. Uh, it's not great for us. I could be back in the office getting, you know, actual work done. And uh, I think that, you know, law is, is one of those professions where they're going to be drag kicking and screaming into the future. So it's tough to get, you know, kind of old school judges on board. But once everybody was forced to do it, I think everyone has recognized like this is this is how it should be. And I don't think that people are going to be excited about going back to the old way of, of doing things now that we have, you know, this new mechanism through technology. Yeah, I agree. I mean, sure, we're probably gonna have jury trials in person again when you know everyone's vaccinated, but Status conferences. I've, I have one friend who's a judge and who's already said, like, yeah, I'm not going back to him. Like, there's no reason we can't use, you know, a video conference platform for these status conferences when all you need are those quick check ins. And yet I used to hate that pay for parking, all all this mess just for, you know, 10 minutes of the judge, which, you know, the judge just wants to get in front of you to make sure you're moving the case along. Like, we all know why we're here. <laughs> like, just all right, slap our wrist and let's go. Right, right. Yeah. And, and you know, outside of the courtroom, if every in-person meeting with your client requires them to take half a day off of work, you're just going to do fewer of those meetings. And, you know, you can sometimes lose some of the personal touch. You know, family law is, it's emotional, it's personal. You know, you're getting to know these people and, and there's a benefit to being able to look someone in the eye and, and tell them, you know, this is how I feel about your situation or to be able to advise them on something and, and see their facial expressions. And now that we can all assume that everybody has you know, a video camera in their house, we can hop on Zoom or, or Skype for a meeting with your attorney. It allows me, I think, to give better service to my clients because I can, I can look them in the eye more often. It's not out of the question to ask them to hop on a Zoom call, even if we're only going to talk 15, 20 minutes. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we are in a customer service profession, you know, and being able to look someone in the eye and, and tell them, hey, I hear you, you know, I want the best for you. And, and here's my advice to you. I think it makes a difference. Yeah, for sure. Well, I love all this. I'm so excited to see, you know, where this goes. I love just the educational approach you're taking to teaching couples how to be financially ready for their marriage. Like great work. Thanks for coming on and talking to us today. Yeah, thanks, Stephanie. Thanks so much for having me on. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller and edited by Christopher Eng. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com slash community slash lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by their participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. 
nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Thank you.